Thank you very much, Terry, and thank you for the privilege of being with you and for the joy it's to be back with you after many years. You have blessed us both in in Malawi and in Uganda by sending your pastor to come and teach the Word of God to our students, and we appreciate your willingness to share his gifts with us very much. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. However, the people of statistics tell us, that is, I have read, that at the end of this 24-hour period, as at the end of every 24-hour period, there will be approximately 7,000 less confessing Christians in the West. That is, every 24 hours, there are 7,000 less who would confess Christ to be Lord and Savior in the West. After coming back here to the U.S. after a number of years and seeing the first thing that I read on the newspaper that now over 50% of Americans approve of same-sex marriage, I can believe that every 24 hours there are 7,000 less confessing Christians in the West. During those same 24 hours, there are 14,000 new confessing Christians in Africa alone. 14,000 new confessing Christians in Africa alone. It is absolutely amazing to be in Africa and to see what God is doing. This, this is Africa. And you can see that this is a very diverse continent. There are 52 countries in Africa as there are 50 states in the USA. And sometimes I ask the students, well, why don't you have a United States of Africa? And they look at me like I'm absolutely crazy. Don't you understand we have 2,000 languages in Africa? That represents 2,000 different cultures. We're not going to have a United States of Africa very soon. But we do have a broad spread of the Christian gospel. But now, how are you going to provide the training and the education and the maturity that is necessary for all these new Christians in, that are in Africa. Well, you could send more and more missionaries, but they're very slow to learn those languages. Believe me, after 19 years in Africa, it's very hard to understand the culture of one community in Africa. Well, you could bring more Africans here to the USA, but very few of them will return to minister in Africa So you take the training to Africa. And for the last 30 years, African Bible College, and thank you very much for the encouragement and provision and support and prayers that you've given for us, African Bible Colleges and Universities have been very carefully focused. You know, when you go into a third world country, if any of you have had a mission experience like that, you're overwhelmed with the open doors of opportunity that are there. And I have seen many burn themselves out trying to meet all the physical needs, the, the material needs, the, the educational needs, the, the needs to fight corruption and the need to fight AIDS. All of these things can consume someone. But we have, with the help of the Lord, tried to concentrate on one thing, a four-year degree-granting university-level training to raise up Africans who themselves can be servant leaders for Christ in Africa. 
And God has blessed us very much over these years, and we thank you very much for being partners with us in this effort to raise the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ to the highest possible level among all these new Christians that are being born of the Spirit in Africa today. Now, the scripture reading for this morning is taken from the book of Ruth, the book of Ruth, and we'll only read selections. You know the story of Ruth, I trust, but to get just the beginning and the end of the story. Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Eli Melech. His wife's name, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malan and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his People by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud and said to her, We will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. At this, they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth, clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, 
she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, she told them. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now you know the story of Ruth, that a man named Boaz, who was an elderly man, an older man, married Ruth, and at the end of the book, verse 13 of Ruth chapter 4, So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. Then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This, then, is the family line of Perez, Judah was the father of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. And as you know, David, the father of Jesus Christ. May God bless to our hearts the reading and hearing of this portion of his holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word. Your life, a love story. Let us pray. Lord our God, help us to understand the length and breadth and depth and height of the love of God which surpasses understanding. As we see your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, our kinsman and our redeemer. Amen. Everybody loves a love story, right? See a lot of young people up here and some over here and you all like the idea of a love story. You like to hear one another's love story. There is a great love story. It is a cosmic love story. Cosmic in its breadth. And it started in the little tiny town of Bethlehem. It is the story of God's love for his people. God's love, as we come to see, permeates every detail and every aspect of every portion of every one of those who are his sons and daughters. Oh, that we could comprehend something more of the breadth 
and length and depth and height of the love of God that surpasses knowledge as it is found in Jesus Christ. In the book of Ruth, we see several principles of the working of the love of God for his people. And the first thing that we see is something that we don't like to see, and that is in love God often places his people in desperate circumstances. Remember, in love, God often places his people in desperate circumstances. There is a mystery of iniquity in the world, a mystery about all bad things. They come into this world as a consequence of sin. You heard the announcement of the death of a beloved wife of your member of your congregation, and that hurts. It's painful. But please understand, in love, God often places his people in desperate circumstances. And it's not just in the later years of your life. It can be in the youngest years of your life that God may choose, in love, to put you in desperate circumstances. In the days of the judges, there was a famine among God's people. And so Naomi and her people could not find anything to eat or to drink. No food, no water, no fruit, no grain. Can you imagine going to the local Kroger's or Walmart? And I'm not giving advertisements for any particular grocery store here, but can you imagine going in and finding the shelves totally and absolutely empty? Can you imagine returning home and turning on the faucet and no water comes out at all? Well, we can imagine that in Africa very easily. Right now there is a famine, a very serious famine in the eastern part of Africa and Somalia. Hundreds of children are dying because of famine today. And we can imagine a lack of water. We've gone as much as nine days without water to flush toilets or water to drink. We have to save some water in the bathtub so we'll have something to purify Yes, those kinds of things do happen. In Judah, there was no food. And so there was a famine, but it's a famine among God's people. While in Moab, on the other side of the rift of the valley, where the rains fall because of the higher peaks of the mountains of Moab, there was food. In Moab, of all places. Do you know this word, Moab? You know, Abba, Abba, Father. M, men, means from, Moab, from my father. This is the name that refers to the fact that these people were the result of an incestuous act of Lot with his daughters. Moab conceived In me by my father. And yet there's plenty of food in Moab. We have a global financial crisis today. And can you believe that? Can I come back from Africa and find that now the USA is a second-rate nation, financially speaking? Is that possible? And that China is on the rise? That, That pagan nation that's been dominated by communism for the last 50 years? that they are prospering and we are declining? Yes, Jesus predicted that there shall be famines and earthquakes, wars and rumors of wars. But don't despair. 
because these are the birth pangs of God's love. When a child is being born into the world, there's lots of pain. And in love, God often places his people in desperate circumstances. And out of those very circumstances come good purposes. Famine in the days of Judges drives Naomi and his fam- her family to Moab. You can imagine moving down to south of the border rather than people coming north of the border. You sneak over the border and go south of the border because there's a famine in this land. And there you don't know the language. And then sickness and death take her husband. Now she's a widow in a foreign country, but she still has her two strong sons, one on the right and one on the left. And then the sons die. It is appointed unto men all once to die. You're all going to die. See what I'm doing right here in front of you? I'm dying. I'm in the decade of my death between my 70s and my 80s. You have the greatest medical care in the history of the world, but it's still 100%. Everyone dies. And it could be your husband or your wife or your mother or your brothers or your sisters. And it hurts and it's painful. But in love, God brings his people in desperate circumstances. Naomi was in desperate circumstances. And the whole earth groans, waiting and hoping and travail until the resurrection of our bodies. It's going to keep on. Don't misinterpret your desperate circumstances in love. God places his people often in desperate circumstances. In Africa, there is famine, there is disease, there is poverty, there is corruption. But there are many of God's people whom he loves, for whom he sent his son to die. And he is redeeming them and snatching them out of the fires. God is showing his love to the people of Africa. Now, secondly, from the book of Ruth, we see that in love, God guides even the smallest details of the life of each and every one of his people. Each and every detail. These events occurred in the days in which the judges ruled. That would be around 1300 B.C., about 1300 years before Christ. Long before David came along as the first king of Israel and united the nation. No, this is when every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So there could have been plenty of grain down in the plains of Sharon. There could have been plenty of meat and milk up in the fat, among the fat cows of Bashan. But mm, every man is doing that which is right in his own eyes. Every man is looking for his own, caring for his own interests. And it's in those days that God sends a famine in the land of Judah. So Naomi and his, her family are driven to move to the pagan country of Moab. If they had not moved to Moab, the son of Naomi would not have met Ruth, the Moabitess, and they would not have married. You see, it's a love story. A love story. Naomi had a prearranged marriage. 
Would you like a prearranged marriage? You know, still about 80 or 90% of the world works on prearranged marriages. Well, I, I should tell you just a little of my own experience as a testimony. I lost my first wife to cancer in Africa. She was the dean of the women there and had served faithfully. But I knew I was the kind of person that wouldn't do well living alone. And there just happened to be an English woman that had moved down to Malawi and we had met just a few times and then she had gone up to Kenya a thousand miles away to study Bible translation and so I pursued her and made this grand proposal very romantically, you know, well, maybe we can serve the Lord better together than separately. And she says, hmm. What are you talking about? Are you willing to quit everything you're doing and become a member of Wycliffe Bible Translators? Well, we'll have to think about that. I'm very happy single. Well, maybe you could be happy married as well. And please don't understand this, but she says, and I'm prejudiced against Americans. Well, I can understand that. If you've seen Americans abroad, you can understand that. And if you've only seen Dallas on television... You can understand that. Now she's an American citizen, just so you'll keep this thing straight. So I went back to Malawi, and she said she would pray. And uh, just uh, about six weeks later, I received a fax. And that fax said, well, I've been praying for all these days, these weeks, and now I have great peace. And in typical African fashion, the electricity zipped. And so I was left hanging. So I sent back a fax and saying, I'm very happy to know that you're, you're at peace. What are you at peace about? And so we were engaged by fax. And we hardly knew one another. You do things a little differently in Africa. And then after we were engaged, we courted and got married. And we just celebrated our 182nd Luniversary. You know Luniversaries? Anniversaries don't come soon enough for us. So we celebrate every month. So we've had 182 Luniversaries. That's 15 years that we've lived in Africa together. God has blessed us with three sons, and we praise his name. It's a love story. Inside this great cosmic love story are these little love stories. And no doubt you will or have or trust that you will have someday your own little version of this wonderful way of God showing his love for his people. So Naomi goes to Moab with her two sons. They die. One of the sons is married to Ruth. He dies. Then a message comes to Naomi that there's food back in Canaan. So Naomi with Ruth goes back to Canaan, back to Judah, back to Bethlehem. That's not happenstance. That's by God's appointment as we see in the consummate history of a certain person born in Bethlehem. 
Ruth goes to a field to glean grain, and this field just happens to belong to a man named Boaz. And Boaz is an older man, quite wealthy, never married. In other words, he's the most eligible bachelor of Bethlehem. Boaz notices Ruth out in his field, and he makes special provision. You leave that woman alone. In fact, I want you to cut a little grain and and just leave it there rather than having her just get the little remnants that are left. You leave some of the best grain for her. And don't a single one of you dare touch her. It's a love story. And it happened in Bethlehem. 13, 23, 3,300 years ago. One little paragraph. Are you in Christ Jesus today? Are you one with the Son of God through faith? Has Then God has chosen you in love before the foundation of the world. The day of your birth was determined in love by God. Your marriage, if you are married, your children, your employment, the day of your death are all ordained by God. For God has made everything beautiful in its time according to his good purposes. Your life, in the grace of God, a love story. Matthew Henry says, Give us grace to remain contented with the specific calling to which you have called us. In all our ways, let us acknowledge your control, trusting that you will continue to direct our steps. Africa has all its heartaches, its troubles, its diseases, its famines, its corruption, its poverty. But there's so many people that God loves in Africa. Here is Grace, captured three times by the LRA, the Lord's Resistance Army. They cut off noses and lips and ears and breasts in order to to humiliate and also to to bring the the little villages under their authority. She escaped three times without being abused. But she was crying, God, why is my life this way? Eating grass, why? But Christ broke through to her. And next year she will graduate from African Bible University. And she will go back to her own people, to those who are in displaced person camps, and minister Christ to them. There is James Juco, whose father was a very high-ranking witch doctor, a polygamous family, many children. James Juco was raised as a witch doctor, and he had so much contact with the demonic that he was ready to commit suicide. James was converted to Christ by the love of Christ coming to him. And James is at African Bible University and next year he will graduate and he will go back as a preacher of the word of God. And let me tell you, he is a powerful preacher. And there is Gaddy, whose family had to flee the genocide in Rwanda and he wandered in Kenya and in Uganda And he has now graduated from African Bible University. He's on our radio staff as a presenter. And he wants to go back to Rwanda and to establish a Christian radio station instead of those radio stations that kept saying, kill the roaches. 
And so the genocide occurred. In America, too, if you believe in Christ, you have your own love story. God's love story. If only we could conceive and trust the love that God has shown to us in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, in love, God graciously provides your kinsman redeemer. The phrase is goel, the kinsman redeemer. You understand that, don't you? I'm from Mississippi. I know what kinsman redeemer means. You've got a problem. It's your relative that's going to solve your problem. You need a job. You need an encouragement and this. You need a little money here or there. Well, that's what relatives are for, isn't it? In Mississippi, you don't know anybody until you know their relatives. Your daughter comes in and says, well, I had a nice visit with with Edward today. Edward who? Where did he go to school? Who's his father? Who's his mother? Where does he live? You understand that, don't you? Your relatives. It's the old biblical concept. It's your relative that redeems you. He's the one that gets you out of your problems. That principle was even codified in the law of Moses in the book of Deuteronomy. If a brother dies, if your brother dies and doesn't have any children to carry on his name, and that carrying on the name, what does it mean? What does it symbolize? Well, it symbolizes ongoing life beyond the grave. That's hope of resurrection. You're not just living for this life, are you? You do understand that there is life beyond that goes on forever. And this principle, if your brother dies without having anyone to carry on his family name, then you must marry Assuming you're not married at this point, you're still in the same home at the house, the homestead, you marry the widow to raise up children, not to carry on your name, but to carry on your brother's name. And so Naomi has no descendants. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. And this old man in the community, well-established, says, I will marry Ruth. I will raise up seed to carry forward not my name. I will lose my name, but I will sacrifice my name for the sake of Naomi's deceased husband. I will be the kinsman to redeem. The Lord Jesus Christ. He left his position of honor at the right hand of the Father. He came In human flesh, he was made a man like you, that he might be your brother. And he says, I am not ashamed to call them brothers. And I sacrifice all my honor that they may enter into honor 
He is your kinsman, redeemer. Do you understand the depth and breadth and length and height of the love of God that surpasses knowledge? Do you understand and have you by faith embraced that love? Don't let the intelligentsia of this day wipe away the wonders of the working of God in this world that goes back at least 3,300 or more years to the time of the birth of a child of Ruth and Boaz, who was the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus born in Bethlehem. The king of love, my shepherd is, whose goodness faileth never. I nothing lack if I am his and he is mine forever. In death's death's dark veil, I fear no ill with you, dear Lord, beside me. Your rod and staff, my comfort still, your cross before to guide me. And so, through all the length of days, your goodness faileth never. Good shepherd, may I sing your praise within your house forever. It's a love story, a cosmic love story. The very particular, specific, designated love of Christ for each of his people. And by grace and by faith and by God's divine election and love before the foundation of the world, you may be included in that love. Let us pray. Lord our God, we thank you that you have done things that we could never have conceived. How could we understand? How could we have ever planned such a way? And as we go through this veil of tears, and as we experience many trials, keep us from ever forgetting that it's in love that you have ordered every day of every one of your people from the day of their birth to the day of their death. Give to us the confidence, Heavenly Father, that will enable us to let go of those things that might mean so much to us in our lives that we might be willing to be kinsmen redeemers to others who still do not know the Savior. For we pray in his name. Amen.